Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome once again to another edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh, and as always, I'm joined here with my friend Will. Eek! And my good friend, the Professor Smoke. Star child! No, you didn't, it didn't, uh, <laughs> you didn't do the echoing weird sound effect, right? <laughs> this is where I'm going to keep queuing up the uh, MGM Lion sound effect. <laughs> or the Carolina Panther sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not Donald Duck. Oh, oh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Same neighborhood. So today we are going to be discussing the cult classic from 1978, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I think this movie actually has a, a, a couple different names that I saw somewhere. Yeah, Attack of the Phantoms, I think that was the European title. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, in Europe it was known as Attack of the Phantoms, and in Italy it's, it's called Kiss Phantoms. I don't think any of these names are really any good, but... Uh, <laughs> They are what they are. <laughs> All I can say is, wow, this movie. I mean, it's almost, it's almost, it's an enigma in a way that, like, it almost presents more questions than it does answers for any of it. <laughs> and I'm not even talking about the ending of it, just everything about it. But we'll get into that uh, as we go along here. I guess before we get too deep, I'll go ahead and throw out the usual information. If you want to uh, email us, you can find that, or you can email us at allamericanspookshow at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Show. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube by searching All American Spook Show. And the same thing over on TeePublic. We have a TeePublic shop where we just put up a, a new Devil's Reign-inspired uh, design. So if you want to go check that out, that's on there. Also, uh, uh, we're thinking about starting up a Patreon pretty soon. But we haven't done anything yet. But I'm just kind of throwing it out there. If, like, uh, if any of you guys, you know, if anyone out there listening... Uh, has any ideas for what they might want in Patreon content. You know, we're, we're trying to kind of come up with some uh, cool ideas for some extra stuff. I mean, the podcast will always be here. It'll always be free. But, you know, we want the Patreon page to be something that's kind of worth your uh, extra dollars, you know. So uh, if you've got any cool ideas for us, just uh, email or email or message them to us. That'll be starting pretty soon, you know, just for some extra content, you know, some uh, extra maybe some mini episodes, extra episodes, uh, videos, stuff like that. So if you've got any ideas or uh, anything you might be wanting from us, just uh, 
float those out and we'll see where see where uh, things go with that here pretty soon so kiss meets the phantom of the park now i know this is the first time i've seen it will i'm assuming it's the first time you've ever seen it yep smoke what about you is it, this is not right this is, can't be the first time <laughs> you've seen this right no this, well it'll give, it'll give away some my age there the first time i saw this was when it uh originally aired on uh, nbc as uh movie of the week or whatever it was and I think it was October 28th, 1978, mm-hmm. Halloween time for 1978. Oh, so you actually saw it the day it came out, the day it debuted. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah this, I got a lot of personal history of this movie, I guess you could say. It was, I mean, I was five years old at the time it was it aired. Uh, I knew Kiss as a five-year-old peripherally, peripherally through my older cousin, I guess, who probably about seven or eight years older than I was. And uh, yeah, he had like Kiss posters on his wall and the Kiss uh, trading cards and, you know, records played. When I go over to his house, he was always listening to Kiss. So I kind of heard it peripherally. But then when I saw this movie, then it instantly made me a Kiss fan. So that was, uh, that, yeah. luckily my parents, they, uh, my dad was a musician anyway. He's a drummer. They had, they bought the album for me. It was a uh, Destroyer. I think it was the first Kiss album that I had. That, and that was based on this movie, going to see. Because uh, some of the songs from Destroyer, of course, were in this movie. I think it was uh, Shouted Out Loud. That was probably the, that was my, my favorite Kiss song at the time from this movie, and I probably listened to that song the most of any of the ones on that that uh, Destroyer album. I just assumed your favorite song uh, from this movie would be "Rip and Destroy." <laughs> oh, that's got some history too, right? Once we get that "Rip and Destroy," yeah. <laughs> basically it's hotter than hell, and they, I think yeah. I'm pretty sure this had to be the only place that song ever you know played with those lyrics. I'm sure because it was. Within the context of the movie, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure unless they were just jerking around, you know, some <laughs> random concert in uh, Austria yeah. or something like that, then, yeah, this is probably the only time they ever did it. <laughs> thinking about that, the last time I saw Kiss, if I'd, if I'd been thinking about it, you know, like, screamed up, play Rip and Destroy. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm sure you would have been the first <laughs> asshole that they ignored that yelled out <laughs> yeah. Rip and Destroy. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, one thing I didn't look up for this, I wish I had looked up, is I wonder if they have ever played that outside of this movie anywhere, <laughs> the Rip and Destroy version of I, I seriously doubt it because they, they don't seem. I mean, like, I doubt it because it's much. <laughs> they, they they seem to take their things too seriously, especially since like uh, you know, w- once we'll get into it here shortly about how like they basically didn't want to hear anything about this for years. Oh yeah. After yeah, <laughs> yeah. this didn't happen, you know. So <laughs> I'm sure they w- wouldn't want to have added to the uh, fuel to the fire by start singing that one. You know. I guess we'll go ahead and toss to the trailer. Well, actually, there's not really a trailer for this. Really, all I, could, I mean, since it was like a TV special, really all I could find was like a uh, uh, like a TV spot kind of, and I found this other thing that yeah, was like basically kind of like pre-show. Yeah, yeah, it was like a pre-show bumper kind of thing that led into yeah, it. Yeah. So I guess instead of the uh, uh, the normal trailer, that's we'll go ahead and play that here. So uh, this is the TV spot for 1978's Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. I like it. 
shot to get out of here. Yes, you can believe it. And now on NBC Saturday Night at the Movies, Kiss meets the Phantom. All right, so there you go. There's that. Um, so, Will, what were your initial reactions uh, upon your first viewing of this cult classic? Damn. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Two words. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> so, Smoke, I guess we kind of got some of your initial there. I mean, obviously, this has a soft space for you, but, like, is this the first... I'm assuming this is the first time you've watched it in, in a while, though. Like, from, Yeah, it's probably been about... probably watched it about six or seven years ago, maybe. It's the last time I watched it. Mm-hmm. And and I, over the course of, you know, since 1978, I think, I... Uh, at the time, I don't remember when they put it out on VHS. So it was eventually released sometime in the 80s on VHS, and I got World Vision clamshell case or whatever. I got that. And then they, I think they re-released it again later on. And I, I don't know. I, I assume it's probably been released on DVD. I'm pretty sure it was on that It was on that Kissology set, right? Volume yeah. 1 of that? I think it's of... Uh, it might, actually, it was on Volume 2 of the Kissology set. Volume 2? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know how that looks, and I, I'm pretty sure there was some other separate DVD release of it. I have not seen any of those cleaned up versions or like I saw it when it originally aired on TV and I've seen the VHS copy and that's the only times I've, uh, that's the only copies of it I've ever seen. So I don't know if there's cleaned up version, the audio and everything. I'm sure it would look, it would at least have to sound and look a little bit better than, uh, Hey, yeah, I got pretty worn. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the, uh, I think like I watched it like where someone had like, I know this is stupid, but you know, it's the only one I could find on hand. I watched it where like someone uploaded it to Facebook, but it was the whole movie, you know, but <laughs> Oh um, yeah. Oh, was it was it like a cleaned up? Did it look like a DVD quality I, version? No, it looked to it? me like it was probably a VHS rip. Yeah, more, more than oh, likely. Okay. But apparently, I found this little note on the uh, the Kissology Volume Two one. It says the European edit of the film, which removes most of Ace Frehley's dialogue, is available on DVD as part of the Kissology Volume Two collection. So that would the one that's on that DVD would be the I guess the European edit, which removes most oh, okay. of Ace Frehley's dialogue. So. But I'm sure it probably looks better than the VHS copies because it says previously availability of the movie was limited to two brief VHS releases in the 1980s and a Laserdisc right. release in 1991. Oh, okay. Then in 2005, distributor Cheesy Flicks, whatever the hell that is, attempted to release the original TV film version of the film on DVD. But due to legal issues, the disc was quickly pulled. So apparently that does exist, and if you've got it, I'm sure it's probably worth some money. Um, now the version, the, the the TV version, you said that was that was what they were gonna. Uh, they did release it for uh, a short time. Yeah, apparently uh, th oh. that's what some distributor called Cheesy Flicks attempted to release the original TV film version on DVD, but uh, due to legal issues, it was quickly pulled. So I guess it does exist out there, and I don't know that maybe even the version that I watched that someone put on Facebook might even be that version. I don't know, but it looked like a VHS rip to me, kind of, you know, the quality-wise. But well, I can it, tell you what, I, what I'd love to see it, it, if somebody out there in the ether had it, I'm sure, was a VHS dub from TV when it originally aired with the original commercials on it, all for purely nostalgic reasons. <laughs> I'd love to see that cut. I mean, so I, I'm sure it exists somewhere. I wouldn't think, uh, you know, beta or VHS decks at people's houses were very common in 1978. So this would, you'd pr I guarantee if there are copies floating around, it's in some random NBC station archive somewhere, yeah, yeah. somewhere <laughs> like in the some country. One on one inch tape somewhere. Yeah, yeah, where they just happen to record it and then, you know, it's still stuck back in yeah. the archive room somewhere because I wouldn't imagine 
too many people would have recorded this off television in 1978. Um, yeah. But I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Uh, that would be cool, though, with the commercials and everything to, uh, to yeah. see the original. <laughs> as, as far as, like, this time you sat down and watched it, Smoke, what were your reactions to it i mean was it about the same as it always is Anything yeah because i've seen it a hand more than a handful of times now so uh <laughs> although like i said it's been a good six seven years or more before the last time i would seen it yeah uh but i mean i enjoy it for you know what it is it's it's <laughs> it's pure pure cheese and again for me it's a like a per I, I can take myself out of watching it and put myself kind of back in those days of seeing it the first time and it just being a huge you know big and big kiss fan too at that time and still love kiss so i can watch it for that even though i already know that it's you know that it's not a good movie of course no but uh, it's far from it but it is yeah. what it is you know it's kind uh, of <laughs> and you can see why why all four members we'll get into that while yeah. members pretty much disowned the movie at least for the longest time didn't even uh acknowledge its existence yeah <laughs> apparently yeah like i said this... like uh, george lucas and the whole star wars holiday special thing i think we've mentioned a few times yeah and the e- and the ewok <laughs> movies themselves of it like that and the ewok movies how they just kind of like oh, that didn't yeah, happen yeah. <laughs> look over here butterfly and one thing that i gets though is it, it is it's kiss at their peak at the time i mean they had i mean you might not you know might not be their best material was being released in 1978 but they were at their commercial peak at that time and then oh, you, absolutely. Get, you get that as far as the concert scenes you know but if you're a Kiss fan, you can just watch it for the concert scenes if you didn't even want to get through all the rest of the stuff, you know. And from what I've read between the lines on it, like, it seems like this movie basically splintered the fan base, so to speak. Like, you know, I'm sure there were those fans that were just going to enjoy it because it's Kiss. And they're going to love it yeah. no matter what. Kiss rules yeah. the end, right? doesn't matter if they just sit there and took a dump for an hour and a half, right? You know? <laughs> but then the other side is like, man, Kiss was cool, but now, now they're not cool at all. Fuck them, you know? So, like... <laughs> I think it did kind of splinter the fan, you know, the hardcore fan. I think a lot of the really hardcore yeah. fans were probably uh, probably bolted after this movie was a thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, if you are a five year old like me, then that's what, and that's that's yeah. kind of my introduction to it. Of course, it's gonna, you know, you got your older, older teens and twenty somethings at the time. Yeah, not too happy with it, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think honestly, that was kind of the point of why they did it was they were trying to uh, kind of expand their fan base in a different way. Like, they said that, like, what they had been doing up to that point was just, you know, rock and roll, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, uh, yeah. you know, they were selling stuff, obviously, but, like, they really wanted to take it a step further and create, the, make kind of make themselves superheroes is what they were trying to do. Yeah. Between this and the comic books and stuff like that at the time. And the comic books, yeah. Yeah, they were trying to, like, make themselves larger than life even more than they they already were with, the, you know, the get-ups and everything. So I guess in that respect, they succeeded in terms of, like, making themselves framing themselves in a different light just i don't know if everybody liked that, oh, yeah. that yeah. angle of the light you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It, it definitely did work for kids at the time though because i had a i also had a kiss lunchbox i still have the kiss lunchbox from the metal you know thermos brand mm-hmm. kiss lunchbox from uh, that i took to like kindergarten i think and probably first grade as well <laughs> yeah so this is obviously all yeah, up in your, your wheelhouse yeah <laughs> true um like I said, yeah, I could definitely see where the marketing was starting being geared more towards, uh, or at least branching out to include marketing to kids too. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this is the first time I've seen the movie, and like I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in between both of y'all. Like on one side, I'm like, what the hell is this? This is, you know. But then I can also step back as a Kiss fan. Now I'm not a, I'm not a uh, what you would call a member of the Kiss Army or anything like that. I'm not a hardcore Kiss fan, but I have seen them in concert twice, yeah. and I also yeah. saw them on their farewell tour 22 years ago. But uh. 
I think they're on their like tenth farewell tour at this point. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or maybe they maybe well probably not right now since the pandemic's going on. But I think they uh, were having some type of farewell tour or something before all this. I know like in 2018 or 2019 they were doing another one. That just means the pandemic gave them an excuse to have yet another farewell tour. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. I, I know they you know they had some dates. They had a lot of dates. I mean, they are whatever about Kiss. You know, they they're definitely a fans band. You know, they love the fans and. They wouldn't hate to cheat the fans out of anything, so I know they missed some of those dates. Yeah. So yeah, they would. I'm sure they'll just like, not just pick up those dates, but add more. I'm sure. Yeah. After all, yeah, you know, yeah, things clear up a little bit more. All right. So with that, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the background because there's uh, plenty of you know we got the normal information. And there's some other uh, tidbits that I found, that I found, and I'm sure you guys did too. So this was like we said a made-for-TV movie that was released October 28, 1978. So this is like the Halloween special, so to speak, on NBC. And it was produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions. That's right. Hanna-Barbera yeah. Productions. <laughs> the same one that made the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Scooby-Doo. Got, the list goes on and on. Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, all that. They did this. And it was also a Kiss All Coin Productions. Um, I guess that was basically Kiss's production company. And their manager at the time was, uh, I think his name was Bill All Coin. I think that's how you say his name, A-U-C-O-I-N. Yeah. He was their manager at the time, and uh, I guess he had like a little production company that they basically just did for this, and probably their videos and everything else they did. And it was distributed by Taft Broadcasting, which was uh, one of the bigger uh, television and radio broadcasting companies of the time. The movie is rated PG, which I, I didn't really know they... I, maybe that's like one of those post-rated kind of things. I didn't really think they rated... TV movies, especially yeah, back I, then, but yeah, I would assume it's probably after the home video release, and then I, actually, probably, well, no, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for Europe to call it that because I think it was probably theatrically released in Europe, but of course they would have whatever their rating systems. Are. Yeah, I would probably for the home video release, I would assume the total runtime of this is one hour and thirty six minutes. Now I'm sure that would have been a full two hours with commercials and everything that aired back then. On IMDb, yeah. it is listed as a fantasy slash horror slash music. Not musical, but music, <laughs> which I guess that's more appropriate, right? It's not really a musical. It's just kind of like, here's a here's a, a wacky movie going on. By the way, let's splice in some Kiss concert. <laughs> and actually, that that's there's another reason why. There, well, there's three reasons why that movie, this movie is, uh, I guess, holds a place for me like that. And we've already mentioned the Kiss, you know, connection or whatever, of course. But Hanna Barbera is another reason that was, you know, all their shows at that time that was coming out about the same time this movie was airing too, like uh, Super Friends and all the different spinoffs of Scooby-Doo, spinoffs of uh, Yogi Bear and Flintstones and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also a third reason is because of, and I know they mentioned it on uh, in IMDb, the genre of being being a horror movie. It's not horror per se. It's got some elements in here that could be seen that way as to a kid, you know? Yeah. So in a way, this is kind of my introduction, I guess, to, I mean, I've seen, probably seen some things that were more horror oriented before this, but definitely my introduction into hard rock and metal and kind of an introduction into horror and the realm of horror for me. So. And I'm sure they probably uh, dabbled some of that in or sprinkled some of that in just because of when it was coming out, you know, like, like yep. I said, this is kind of like the Halloween NBC special kind of thing, you know, so I'm sure that's yeah. why they threw in the little chamber of thrills with uh, Frankenstein and, the Mummy and Dracula. <laughs> yeah. um, the budget for this that I could find was about $3 million. And it was filmed pretty much most of the month of May in 1978. So they filmed this in May and it came. It comes out in October. So clearly there's a rushed aspect to this whole thing. I mean, it usually takes more time than that to make something worth a crap. So what? <laughs> imagine that. This, this, this finished movie product. was rushed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's what the legends say. Now, far be it from me. Um, I mean, you watch it yourself and you tell me. Yeah. It was uh, filmed, most of it was filmed at Magic Mountain, which right after this actually became known as Six Flags Magic Mountain, which I guess is still there in Santa Clarita, California. And I think I saw that some, some other scenes were filmed in the Hollywood Hills, you know, somewhere in the area. But most of this was filmed right there at Magic Mountain, which I don't know if they ever really come right out and call it Magic Mountain. But the, it, so. it, it is on so. like... I don't even think they named the park at all. I don't think they <laughs> ever say it, but it is on some of like the roller coaster. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, the cabs or whatever whatever the hell they call those. I'm blanking on the term for it. You know what I'm saying? The, the thing you sit in when you ride a roller coaster. It said Magic Mountain, yeah. like clearly cart. on the front of it, <laughs> the cart, yeah. So, like, they didn't go out of their way to say what it, where it was, but, you know, I guess, you, you know, if you're just paying attention, you'll figure it out. And like I said, much of the production was rushed, obviously. And uh, from what I read here, this one excerpt, it says, and the script underwent numerous rewrites. <laughs> Once again, there's a bombshell shocker for you. All four members of KISS were given crash courses on acting before they, like, literally as they show up. All right, here's how to act. <laughs> also, they paid off well. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> you can see all their hard work and <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. The concert that you see in the movie um, was actually recorded in the parking lot of Magic Mountain on May 19, 1978, in front of a crowd of about 8,000 people. And uh, tickets were given out for the concert uh, by like a local AM radio station uh, called KTNQ which was where the real Don Steele was a disc jockey. Now, he's actually got a part in the movie. I think, like, um, he introduces the band or something like that up on the stage when they come out, maybe toward the beginning. I can't remember exactly where. But uh, apparently he was a famous disc jockey back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, you know, back in his time frame. So that would have been a big deal at the time, I guess. And I'm assuming in the Los Angeles area there. And But anyways, this concert, the, the uh, Kiss performed a full-on concert, which was followed by lip-synced performances of some of the songs. And like we mentioned, Rip and Destroy, which is an altered version of Hotter Than Hell, was not performed during this concert. So apparently, I guess, sometime later on, they got him back up on the stage and then they... They did this rip and destroy bit. You know, I sing the same song when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> right after Taco Bell, right? Right after Taco Bell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing like three Mexican pizzas. Before by the way, sing- if you want to sponsor us, Taco Bell, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this segment brought to you by Taco Bell. Taco Bell, rip and, rip and destroy. destroy. <laughs> All right, so on IMDb, this movie gets 4.8 out of 10 stars, which is kind of surprising, you know, that it would even be that high, but I'm assuming that's just, you know, fan votes or something. On the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it was all smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, it says I here kept, there's... I kept logging in under different names and giving it 10 stars to get that damn rating up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was 36,000 ratings. I mean, good Lord, how many times did you do this? So over on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter, not applicable. So that means there was not enough uh, critic reviews to aggregate a score. But the audience score on there, which is why I even mentioned Rotten Tomatoes, was 60%. So, Smoke, you must have got to work over there, too. The movie was directed by Gordon Hessler, which um, I saw something where, like, he was even kind of surprised, like, why do you want me to do this? But <laughs> um, <laughs> He was a uh, Alfred Hitchcock protege. Like, he actually worked on the uh, the, the old Alfred Hitchcock hour and uh, Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. Presents back in the day. And he also directed a few Vincent Price movies. Some, uh, what was it, uh, I don't know, The Oblong Box? That I seems like that was one of them. Price is in that one or not. I know it was the Edgar Allan Poe movie. Yeah, yeah, and then there was, yeah, there was a couple of those. Screaming, 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 again. That's the one that had, like, 
Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing were in that one. Also, Cry of the Banshee and uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue. He passed away back in January of 2014 at the age of 88. So he had a pretty good long career there. Oh, that's another that's another name right there that, that I could go into as far as his development of my, you know, movies from my childhood and stuff like uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Do you remember the Sinbad movies? He directed the Golden Voyage one. Oh, yeah. the uh, What was the guy's name? Uh, Ray Harryhausen? Yeah, Ray Harryhausen. Harry. I, I was going to mix it all up. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> His movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that one, uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad came out in 73, which... Well, that, that was, which was my birth year. Too. Growing up in the '80s, every I mean, and this of course, this isn't just part of the '80s. That was in the '90s too, I guess. But you know, ninjas. Every boy you know, played ninjas or whatever. You had ninja movies, you had your ninja gear and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess the greatest what ninja for me in the '80s it was a Shokazugi from a Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja. And uh, I know Gordon Hester didn't direct those two movies, but he did direct two other Shokazugi movies later on, like Pray for Death, which was a good uh, sort of a mixing of ninja the ninja genre with a Charles Bronson, Death Wish, uh, revenge type, you know, motive, and then uh, Rage of Honor. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if y'all remember hearing about this TV show. It hasn't aired, to my knowledge, because it was only one season. It didn't really get syndication, or and I don't even think it's been put out on DVD. But it's called The Master, and it was a ninja. It was because it was a, right there at the peak of the ninja phase and everything, or ninja phenomenon. Had Shokazugi in it as a bad guy, but the main guy was uh, Lee Van Cleef. Was like the main good guy ninja <laughs> and uh, now Lee Van Cleef you know he's a great actor he's great at westerns he's great at uh at uh playing what like a you know good, good bad guy but not he's not very convincing as a uh aging ninja you know <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of works out because you know if you're if you're a ninja you're in a black he's in a black uniform with a ninja mask so as soon as he's doing ninja shit yeah they just cut the stunt guy in the black uniform doing somersaults and everything <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so not, not very convincing, is it? Definitely, that was another, uh, I guess you call it a nugget from my childhood. Uh, I loved it. I wish somebody would put that out, on at least on DVD. I know it was only one season. Maybe. So I could, like, I could rate it. Get on there and IMDb and rate that up another 10 stars. Yeah. Let's <laughs> go ahead and prop it up. It's not a good series. It's much like this much like this TV movie. It's not a good series, really, but entertaining. And now, I, found, I, I don't know that it's on there. Probably not. But uh, I know that Shout Factory TV um, which is like an app and a website or whatever. They have a lot of random stuff like that on there. That oh, okay. you, you know, you might want to give that a look. I mean, I don't know that that's on there. Yeah. Probably not, but uh, you might want to give it a look there because you never know. They they definitely have that kind of stuff from the 70s and 80s. All right, so uh, this movie was written by Jan Michael Sherman and Don Boudet came out of his bootay. <laughs> Michael, Jan Michael Sherman only had three credits. This is one of them. The other two is a movie called She's Too Hot to Handle and... Another one called California Girls. Don Boudet, apparently they were partners because one of his credits was She's Too Hot to Handle. Now, he had a handful of, a few more credits, but not very many more. He was actually also a music producer on a movie called Spawn of the Slithus. So that that definitely sounds like something we need to get a hold of one of these days. Is that a sequel to Slithus? You know, there's a movie called Slithus. Yeah, I've heard of Slithus before. Yeah, it's the same same deal. So I'm assuming it's probably a sequel. sequel Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Um... So yeah, we got to get a hold of that one day. But uh, Don, Bu- I- I'm assuming that Jan Michael Sherman is still alive. But Don Boudet, he passed away in November of 2001 at the age of 67. So two executive producers on this. One is Bill Alcoin, which, like we said, that he's the original manager of Kiss. He passed away in June of 2010 at the age of 66. Apparently, like he w- he wasn't uh, the manager of them too much longer after this. Like I think like around 80, 81, something like that. I guess probably around the time that like. Uh, you know, give or take, uh, 
that the original lineup, you know, I think Peter, yeah, I think Peter Chris was the first one to leave, right? Like not too long after this, I think he left. Yeah, in and then, then Ace followed. Like, yeah, not, long, not too long, too too long after that. But yeah, he was the original manager, and uh, he was an executive producer on this, and uh, he died in June of 2010. Um, and all, uh, the other executive producer is Joseph Barbera of Hanna Barbera. He's the co-founder of Hanna Barbera. I don't necessarily know why. William Hanna wasn't a, a producer on this. I guess like he's like, you know what? This is too stupid even for me. I'll stick to the <laughs> cartoons. You can handle this. But Joseph Barbera was an executive producer. And, of course, like everything that had anything to do with Hanna Barbera, like we said, that was him. He passed away in December of 2006 at the age of 95. So one of the more uh, successful uh, animation or you know cartoon however you want to phrase it producers makers ever hannah barbera and uh, specifically uh, joseph barbera there the producer of this movie was terry morse jr now only i usually don't go this too deep in the producers but i felt i had to mention him because there is a connection to the devil's reign and his name <laughs> is terry morse jr <laughs> he was in charge of production of the devil's reign so he's one of the ones that we have to blame for that so i should i thought i found it was interesting that we could connect that to kiss meets the phantom of the park but, so yeah. there you go he did also this guy ever get a job again <laughs> yeah well he did a bunch of stuff and he did work after even this clearly because he was the co-producer of teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 secret of the ooze and i'm starting to see a pattern <laughs> and teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 so he co-produced those another cool little thing with this dude he was the assistant editor on the original Godzilla movie. Like, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and, you know, the uh, the Godzilla, the one with uh, uh, Raymond Burr. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the assistant editor. So th this dude had quite a career. Uh, it's a weird career, you know, jumping around in genres and stuff like that. But he was very successful, for sure. Also, another one uh, uh, that we normally don't point out that I will hear, the music in this movie was by Hoyt Curtin, who was basically the oh, yeah. music who was basically the music dude for all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Yeah, and most specifically for me, again, Super Friends, that was just like, that was just, that was my shit at five years old. <laughs> well, I mean, he... The Super Friends, he did the theme for I that. I think he basically... All the Super Friends. Yeah, I think he basically came up with two of the most iconic theme songs of all time, too, in the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Yep. That was him. And you can definitely, uh, e even if you get past the shitty acting in this movie, you can definitely feel the Hanna-Barbera presence with the music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something I read was saying that the reason that they went with that music was to try to draw in more kids and try to get a lower rating. A lower rating? What do you mean, like uh, picture rating, kind of like PG? Kind yeah. Of? Huh. Yeah. Well, if we cartoon it up real good, this will this will lower it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the movie stars Kiss, which is uh, Peter Chris, Ace Fraley, Gene Simmons, and Paul Stanley. And Peter Chris, he's the drummer, or he was the original drummer of Kiss. He plays Catman in this. And he actually uh, had, uh, I mean, all of them have a number of credits for, like, the music videos and other things that they did and a handful of other projects. Uh, uh, though ar arguably none of them were as successful as Gene Simmons after this, or, you know, at any point. But uh, Peter Chris actually played in a couple of episodes of that uh, HBO series Oz back in, uh, I guess that'd be the late 90s, early 2000s. Ace Fraley as Space Ace. He's the lead guitarist of KISS. Not many other uh, credits. Gene Simmons as the Demon and he's the bass player for Kiss, and he's like kind of like the leader of Kiss, so to speak, right? I mean, like it's it's basically his baby at this point. I mean, him and Paul Stanley, right? Him and I, Paul, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like this is his his he runs the engine of. Uh, yeah, he's the business. He's definitely the the main business 
the front man and behind it basically yeah he, he may not necessarily be the front man as far as singer lead singer yeah, right the but band. Yeah, he is yeah. the man he's he is kiss yeah. If Gene although, Simmons, although they do, they did split up that. Uh, I mean, I guess if you had to pick an actual front man for the band, I guess it's always been Paul Stanley. But, but they are, they were a band that at least split up a lot of the stuff as far as vocals. You know, a lot of people love Peter Chris's vocals, even though he didn't do vocals on as many songs, because he had that kind of raspy mm-hmm. sort of Rod Stewart sound to his vocals. Yeah, he did Beth yeah, I, and Hard Luck Woman and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. It's in this movie, as a matter of fact. Yeah. They did, they did <laughs> oh, both. that's one of the best parts. <laughs> <laughs> one yeah. of the few times you actually hear his voice. One of the one of yeah. the other yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah one of the other uh, key scenes that ask, have more questions than answers. But continue. Um, I think the other voice was uh, Zan, right from Zan mm-hmm. and Jane Wonder Twins. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the guy that, that the overdubbed uh, his <laughs> yeah. voice? Yeah, voice over Peter Chris <laughs> was. Uh, well, I guess we can. I think he was Duke. That was Michael Bell. Was his yeah, name. yeah, that was. I think he was Duke in GI Joe cartoon, right? In the yeah, 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 and yeah. he was. Hell, <laughs> the guy's got a string of uh, credits for. I mean, maybe not always being the main characters in some of these Hanna Barbera cartoons, but he always played one, two, sometimes three voices in the in a lot of them. I think that was kind of a close knit group back in the '60s through the '80s oh, yeah. of like yeah, uh, these animated yeah. these uh, uh, animation voices. It's probably mm. like the same twelve dudes that did every voice. You know, when you really start oh, yeah. looking at it, <laughs> it wasn't like a the massive voice actors, the animators, yeah. Yeah. the writers, the composer. <laughs> yeah, was kind of in-house. But uh, but Gene Simmons, get back to him for a second. He is the most successful, I would think. You know, as far as outside of Kiss and uh, in the mo- especially movies and TV. Uh, he was in a movie called Runaway. He was in a little film. Tom Selleck. Yeah, yeah. He was in a little film called Never Too Young to Die. Um, Stargirl! <laughs> Star Child! Jesus oh, Christ, yeah, you got me. me. Stargirl! <laughs> Another movie that we've mentioned a dozen times, but we still haven't got around to yet, Trick or Treat. Um, oh, yeah. I believe this was a Rutger Hauer movie, if I'm not mistaken. Wanted Dead or Alive. Wasn't Rutger Hauer in yeah, that? that? Yeah, that was one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Not just for him, but for Rutger Hauer. <laughs> most of what I, I in all these ones I just named off, most of those were in the 80s. So, I mean, clearly most of his mainstream success, uh, if you want to call it mainstream success, these kind of movies, probably not not really any of them highly successful, but definitely cult classic type movies now. But yet yeah, most of those were during the 80s. And, 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 and ever since then, I mean, you've seen Gene Simmons like in some reality shows and... And other things over the years. I mean, he's definitely the most recognizable, even without the makeup now. Like, most people would know who Gene Simmons is. Uh, and then, like we said, the lead singer, Paul Stanley, he plays Starchild um, in this. And he didn't really, I mean, he's got some other uh, credits, but, you know, nothing as big as Gene Simmons or even uh, Peter Chris being in Oz. Um, and they all, of course, were in the uh, the Kiss-centric movie, uh, Detroit Rock City, from back in 1999. They actually were all back in that. I guess they filmed that back during when they like the original lineup got back together for basically the last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was 90. Well, uh, the, uh, movie, the movie uh, 99. Later, so, but they yeah. got together in 96. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure they probably had filmed that movie sometime in 97 or 98, something like that. And yeah. So I'm sure it was during that run. And that was about when I saw them in concert for the first time was whichever farewell tour that was with the original lineup. So at least I did get to see the original lineup because they've had uh, a number of incarnations since then. Now it's uh, back to, even though it's not Ace and Peter, they're wearing Ace and Peter's makeup. You know, it, you know, I think it's Tommy Thayer who's playing the role of Space, of space Ace or Ace or whatever. Yeah, the, the Spaceman, whatever the hell they, call, they actually call it. The Space <laughs> Ace in this movie, but I'm not sure if that's what they call him. Because uh, they do have names, like Catman and the Demon and all that shit. Yeah, um, yeah, that was kind of... And I don't know exactly where that came into 
played. I, I, I kind of called him that a little later because this, this is sort of, in a way, was my introduction to him. Something. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, you know, if that was, I'm sure there were their fans prior to this movie weren't calling him that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he's actually the spaceman. That's what I see here. Ace yeah. Frehley is actually called yeah. the spaceman, but he's, you know, mostly, I'd say a lot of people just call him Space Ace, probably because of this, like you said. And uh, Tom, yeah. Tommy Thayer has been, has been that since uh, mm-hmm. 02. But I actually saw something when I was looking at all this. The, the makeup, you know, like the look of the makeup of all the four major guys. It's actually like uh, patented uh, by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, so like, you can't even like put this makeup on, I guess, without paying them uh, a couple bucks. You know, if you were uh, trying to do this for money, I guess. Oh, and back in, uh, remember when uh, Peter and Ace both left? At that time, they didn't try to like replace them with somebody who was going to wear their makeup. It was, uh, I think it was Eric. Was it Eric Carr, baby, that came in? Well, I know Vinnie Vincent came in at one point. And he had that makeup yeah, with, a, it, with an Egyptian onk on his face, you know, like yeah, an Egyptian cross onk. <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually when uh, uh, Peter Chris left, it was Eric Carr. It was Eric Carr, he, and he, yeah. had, he was the fox. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. His makeup was supposed to look like a fox. Yeah, yeah and then Vinnie Vincent was the onk warrior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it as far as paint, because after that is when they, they took shed the, the paint off. 1983 yeah. for, uh, damn, what was that, Lick It Up, that album. Yeah. <laughs> I just always think of that video where they're all like walking down the street. Yeah, singing yeah, "Lick It All Up." All hell's breaking loose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All hell's breaking loose. Oh shit! It also stars Anthony Zerbe as Abner Devereaux. He is the main bad guy of the movie, who's actually had a, a, a pretty long, successful career. You would probably, you oh, may, yeah. you may know him from uh, other than this. Obviously, I mean, this would be number one, right? <laughs> but. uh <laughs> You might know him from The Omega Man, The Matrix Reloaded, uh, License to Kill, which was a James Bond, you know, 007 movie. Classic Paul Newman film, Cool Hand Luke. Tons of TV shows and uh, TV movies and stuff over the years. But boy, he really hams it up in this one. I mean, like, I'm not saying he did a bad job, but it's 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 over the top, man. Um, <laughs> Carmine Caridi plays Calvin Richards. He's the guy that owns the park. He also has been fairly successful throughout his career. Um, you may have uh, uh, seen him in The Godfather 2 and 3, the 1986 uh, Tom Hanks movie, The Money Pit, the Warren Beatty movie from uh, 91, Bugsy. Basically, just kind of like mafia-type stuff. You know, he's been, t- obviously, pretty much everything I just mentioned was all like uh, mafia-style movies, except for maybe The Money Pit. I don't, I don't remember his role from that. I'd have to go back and watch. But, yeah, basically that kind of stuff. And and still even today, or I, I should say recently, because he actually just passed last year in 2019. He died May 28, 2019 at the age of 85. But, I mean, actually, like, uh, his last project is a TV movie called The Bellinis that came out this year. So, um, I guess, uh, unless there's something else floating around out there, that would probably be it for him. But long, long career. I mean, on IMDb, he's got 105 credits that go all the way back to uh, 1962. So, uh, a little bit of everything for uh, Carmine Caridi. Melissa. Who's basically the uh, the the main woman of the movie, lady that uh, needs Kiss's help to look for her uh, boyfriend? It was played by Deborah Ryan. There's a good chance you probably don't really recognize her from much else. I mean, mostly it's just TV. She's st- best I can tell, she's still alive, but she hasn't had a film credit since 1983. She played in a random episode of Simon and Simon and uh, another random episode of Chips at that time, and that was it for her. Like she hasn't oh. she hasn't been in anything <laughs> that, since. That jog my since you mentioned Chips and that jog my memory. I was, it's just something I wasn't even gonna. I forgot. I, it's kind of floating through my brain when I was watching this, but then I forgot to write it down. Was a uh, there's a connection for for Kiss and Chips as well, and Halloween. It was like I think it was season six. There was a Halloween, the Halloween episode 
that year, whatever the year was, probably around the same time as this. I'm not 100% 76, 7, 78, somewhere. There was an episode that had a band who was supposed to be Kiss, I guess. You know, they, they had face paint on and all that stuff. And I can't remember what the name of the band was in this. But you could definitely, it was definitely a, a ripoff of Kiss. I just remember watching that episode around, probably came out the same around the same time, around Halloween. And it might have even tied in with this, uh, with Kiss being in this ep- in this TV movie and everything. I'll get back to that and I'll post some stuff on the uh, Facebook page if I can find a scene from that Chips episode because it's uh, just as bad, goofily entertaining as you know Kiss Meets Stand on the Park. <laughs> it also stars Terry Lester as Sam. Now, this is the uh, Melissa's uh, boyfriend that's missing throughout the movie that she's looking for. You probably wouldn't remember him from much else. I mean, once again, it's mostly uh, TV. Uh, he he's been in some episodes of uh, the. Uh, Soap operas like Santa Barbara and The Young and the Restless, stuff like that. He actually passed away at the age of 53 back in November of 2003. Um, as far as like recognizable people, uh, probably about one of the only other ones you'd recognize was one of the security guards, Brian James. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's been in a, uh, like, uh, you'd probably remember him from a ton of stuff in the uh, uh, 70s and 80s, uh, specifically yeah. in the 80s. I mean, he, he was in, he's uh, let's see, Blade Runner. The Fifth Element. Oh, the Replicant, right? Yep. Uh, Striking Distance. Another 48 Hours. I mean, tons of those like action-type movies, and he was always kind of a uh, a tough, you know, like a street-tough kind of a uh, lackey kind of dude. Yeah, he's always that. He's a character actor, play the bad guy, because he... <laughs> yeah, he's... <laughs> always, you know, it, it might not be flattering, of course, but he's kind of got that weaselly kind of face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he just does. You know? He's just got the look, <laughs> unfortunately yeah. for him. Pretty much every major TV show of the 70s and 80s, he, he was in at least one episode. The Incredible Hulk, Mork and Mindy, Chico and the Man, BJ and the Bear, Galactica 1980. Just, you know, you could keep going down chips. He was in a few episodes of that. But unfortunately... a couple personal favorites of mine from the 80s, too. Like Enemy Mine, you ever seen that movie? Sounds familiar, but I'm not placing it. Uh, Dennis Quaid and Blue Gossett Jr. sci-fi, where uh, Dennis Quaid is a human and Blue Gossett Jr. is an alien. And they're, 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 uh, their races are at war. And uh, the, both of their spacecraft get shot down, kind of whatever, and they crash land on this planet, and they both have to kind of get together and make it and survive. So it's one of those type of two people from different walks of life come together in a sci-fi background. Mm. <laughs> and Brian James was a bad guy in that one, too. He was like, this planet was a was a desolate-like planet, and the only thing on it, life-wise, was a, this mining operation that was you know, mining ore from the planet, I guess, or whatever. And Brian James was one of the ore miners who was... Mm. Uh, unsavory type character but that was a good one uh, uh southern southern comfort have you seen that one once again it sounds uh, familiar but i don't think i've seen it those will have to i mean i know they're not fully horror but at some point we might be able to i mean that one is it does have its exploitation elements the uh, southern comfort is basically kind of like a one of the uh, deliverance meets uh first blood or something well <laughs> of kind course, of... and of course brian james plays sort of a well you know the good guys and bad guys in that movie are kind of subjective i guess you'd say well i mean it, i'm sure it kind of falls into our wheelhouse either way so uh maybe we'll get mm. to that one of these days um, unfortunately, Brian James is no longer with us. He passed away in August of 1999, so at the age of 54. So he was still fairly young when he passed. He definitely had a, a heck of a career while he was with us, though, and left a lot of uh, impressionable type of little small roles in a lot of movies and TV shows. I mean, on IMDb, he's got 173 acting credits, so he left quite an impression in his uh, time in the time he was here. Honestly, that's about all I got. I mean, there's some other random little things I'm sure we'll bring up along the way, but, I mean, is there anything else you guys wanted to point out before we got into the movie itself? Uh, the one thing that I found is apparently when the movie was being pitched to the guys, uh, it was supposed to be a mix between A Hard Day's Night and Star Wars A New Hope. <laughs> 
I can see it. If you've been taking a lot of but it drugs. But came off and... like a live-action movie of Spider-Man at the time with Nicholas Hammond. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, watching this, though, does remind me of that because I, that was also something I loved at the time, too, and it was the same era. So oh, it's definitely, got that, it's definitely got that kind of feel to it, like that oh, yeah. late yeah. 70s, early 80s Marvel comic. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's all over. And like we said, it was a rushed production by Hanna-Barbera, who doesn't do these kind of things in the late 70s. So you can see the stew brewing here for... A classic uh, piece of cinema. <laughs> it's refreshment time. And our refreshment stand is loaded with good things to eat. There's crispy, crunchy popcorn. And hot, delicious buttered popcorn. Lots of candy. And frosty, refreshing cold drinks. Why not treat yourself at the refreshment center now? For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, like we usually do from time to time, if you go on Audible and you just type in horror and search, uh, you'll come up with a, a tons, I mean, if not thousands of uh, relevant titles and stuff on there. I mean, tons of good stuff. I'll, I'll just name off a few here. The Best of the Best, Horror of the Year, 10 Years of Essential Short Horror Fiction, by Ellen Datlaw. That's almost 20 hours of uh, uh, short stories, horror short stories to listen to. Um, Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chabosky. That one's uh, 24 and a half hours long, so that's that's a good-sized chunk audiobook there. Seller of Horror, The Story of Gary Heidnick by Ken Inglade. Um, that one's almost eight hours long. But the Conspiracy Against the Human Race, A Contrivance of Horror by Thomas Legaldi. That sounds kind of deep. Um, <laughs> That one's uh, about eight and a half Even hours. Even the subtitle long. is deep. Yeah, like, <laughs> ugh. I don't know that one. That one might be too deep. That might be too a little too real. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, tons of examples on it. Like I said, if you just go on there, and, and of course, everyone loves Stephen King. Tons of his stuff on there. Pretty much all of his books, I think. I'm sure there are by this point. And a uh, different quality of uh, audiobooks and stuff like that on there. Some of them acted out. Some of them are just you know someone literally reading out of a book. You know, if if it. it just go on there and look around. You'll find something that interests you, trust me. And look, all you have to do is try out, you know, audibletrial.com slash spookshow. You get one free book. You know, they give you a credit. You pick the book. If you're like, you know what, this ain't for me, you can cancel it, and but you get to keep that one book. So, hey, it's worth going to audibletrial.com slash spookshow just to get a free book, you know, free audio book out of it. So um, it, it, it helps us out and uh, helps you out too because you get something in return. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audiobook. All right, so I guess with all the uh, the old uh, paid advertising out of the way, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, dive into this classic of modern cinema. <laughs> that is Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. A real crapster piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> all right, and it starts out at 100 miles an hour. Like with the cheese. Um, yeah, right at the credit sequence. Oh, yeah, like yeah. like uh, the, the only thing that ain't cheesy is like the Hanna-Barbera Productions thing right there at the beginning. And bam, <laughs> you get the title screen uh, while while Kiss's Rock and Roll All Night is playing. And Kiss is like performing the song horribly. Well, kind of, kind of. <laughs> because well, isn't Peter Chris is just doing air drums? Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> They clearly like, all right, here, here, hit. We want you to kind of pretend you're playing drums, but hit these little X's that are kind of like in the air. Look, you know, everybody else has got instruments too. Like, I mean, Gene's got his bass, and you know, Ace's got his guitar, Paul's got his guitar, whatever he's singing. You just drum over here in the air. Yeah, and they're floating over like this enormous roller coaster. Uh, yeah. They're at Magic Mountain inside of a coaster car, right? I forget what the, I don't know. Yeah. Or one of those types of. 
carnival yeah, cars or whatever. Where they're they're like kind of like, they're, yeah, they're like spinning around and like this little car and the bumper car looking thing. And <laughs> it's, it's like I said, it's a hundred miles an hour. It's, like it has to be seen to be, yeah, you have, you have to see it. Yeah. It, um, it definitely feels like, uh, they, they had just discovered green screen. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we, this is awesome. We got to do this like a bunch of it. Don't you think that's enough, boss? No, more. Now, and, uh, I, just in case the, the that you know you didn't get enough of rock and roll all night in the beginning credits, it gets played again in the movie too. Yeah, <laughs> that is their number one. I yeah, guess, I was about you know, to say. Well, well, that is kind of their most signature well right? known song. You know, yeah, I would but. say. I, I I will point this out now because that's the last time you see Kiss for thirty minutes. Because I, you know, not that if you're just sitting there watching this movie, you know, for the you know to listen for this or whatever. If you're just sitting down to enjoy the movie, you may not pay attention to how long it is that you see Kiss again, but I was paying attention to it. You don't see them again for 30 minutes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I also timed that myself. Yeah, it's well, pretty I mean, much... I didn't time it. You know, I kind of, like, yeah, well, you, I had to you be noticed. timer. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I think I, I was kind of on purpose, though. I, well, I got about 15, 20 minutes, and I'm like, fuck, man, it seems like you'd see Kiss by now. Where the hell's Kiss at? This isn't going to be one of those deals where it's like it's called Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, and then you only see him in the last five minutes, is it? The only movie that that worked for was Detroit Rock City. Huh? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It worked because they wrote to that, though. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like yeah, you've got you don't the, call you, a movie Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, and then don't show them, and then don't it. see fucking Kiss. <laughs> but you do not see Kiss for thirty minutes. So if you, whenever you sit down and watch this, just take note. So, all right, so Kiss has a big concert play. Actually, they're they're playing three concerts, right? They got like two nighttime concerts and then like a matinee or something. They make a big deal to keep pointing this yeah. out here at the uh, the park, Magic Mountain. And this is where you're introduced. Well, played two of them and then their androids played the other one, but we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> androids, you ask? Yep, androids. <laughs> what is this? You're introduced to Melissa and Sam. Like I said earlier, uh, Melissa's the uh, the main girl who's looking for Sam. Sam gets missing here shortly. Um, so it's pretty much throughout the whole movie, Melissa's looking for him. Um, and Sam works at the park. So they're kind of enjoying the park together. And Sam's like, well, got to go work, which I thought's weird, right? Like, I'm just going to like hang out here at the park. Well, it's time to go to work. And then he just, you know, just floats away and leaves her to her own devices in the park there. You're introduced. But he goes to work in the park, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he, he's got a job in the park somewhere. And he's, I guess he just hangs out before his shift. I don't know what that, you know, whatever. Now, right after this, you're introduced to Abner Devereaux, <laughs> who, who's clearly just like one of those pissy, like I'm really smart, uh, you know, kind of genius kind of dudes. Who doesn't like anybody? One of those eccentric, eccentric theme park engineers, you know. They yeah, yeah, like they all, you know, they all are. I'm sure, just eccentric, <laughs> assholey park engineers at every park in the in the uh, United States or in the world. But you introduce to him, and then he gets pissed at like these kids that are like randomly doing a pyramid in the middle of the park. Like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I've never gone to an amusement park and then just like, hey, you want to make a pyramid? <laughs> It was the 70s. Well, yeah, I guess. It was 1978. Maybe that'll just be the line for the rest of the movie. It was 1978. You know, let it go. <laughs> just let it go. Hey, I'm in a theme park. Let's get on our hands and knees. Yeah. And then a, a group of street toughs comes by and, like, kicks the dude's arm out and the whole pyramid falls over. And then Abner's like, see, this is what happens. What? What happens? <laughs> when you're just trying to have a good time, you asshole? Uh, but clearly that's his role. And what was the... Uh, the uh... The street punks. All I remember is Chopper. Oh, like I have slug. I, no, I have their like no, I have their names right here. Chopper, who's like the leader of the group. Slime. Slime. And <laughs> then there's a girl with him. Her name's Dirty D. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Chopper don't hurt. Chopper don't hurt nobody unless he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know why they'd pay damn good money to go into an amusement park just to fuck with people, right? Like you know, like. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not like it, it, it's not like this is the carnival, man. Like you got to pay serious cash to go into this damn park. This magic. Yeah, they had season passes. play. Yeah. <laughs> they had season oh, yeah. passes to Magic Mountain just to fuck with people. <laughs> this is a really organized group of street toughs. <laughs> So Sam goes into like he's he, he goes into like this little uh, uh, underground laboratory. I guess this is where he works. He, it turns out he's like the assistant for uh, Abner Devereaux, and then he just goes in like the sliding sliding door like slides up or this door slides up, and he goes in there and then the door closes real quick and then he just screams and now Sam's gone. <laughs> like, like this part this part was hilarious to me. Besides the obvious, you know, like like why is this dude like walking around? But like he's talking to his girlfriend in the beginning of the movie, like. Something doesn't add up. And then he walks off to go to a shift, and his <laughs> shift is just walking around like random parts of this building, yeah. rubbing up on the wall. Yeah, he do, and, it, and he's not in a rush to do it either, right? Like, you know, oh shit, I better go. And then he gets there. It's like, <laughs> maybe he was just and, looking and for a good out. Shift. I mean, you would think you had worked there before, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, it's yeah. Shift, right? you wouldn't have to search <laughs> he acts around. Like he's never seen any of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just forgot that part where, like, this is his first day. They just forgot that part in the script. Yeah. So uh, Abner is like uh, pleading with the, the owner of the park. He needs more money for his animatronics, for his inventions, right? Like so, like basically, that's his sole function of the park, right? Is that he's like the guy that makes all these animatronic dummies and stuff that that are all over the park that clearly nobody gives a rat's ass about except for him. Still to this day. Yeah. <laughs> now Melissa, you know, Sam's gone, so now Melissa's going around the park looking for him and asking questions. Abner runs into these street thugs, you know, Chopper, Slime, and Dirty D. He tells them, like, if you really want a good time, you go go down to the Chamber of Thrills, and he gives them, like, a pass, which I thought, once again, like, th this isn't, like, the fair, right? Like, if there's a Chamber of Thrills, you've already paid to get in here. Just go f go to the fucking Chamber of Thrills. And then, like, it shows, like, a ride going crazy. So, clearly, like, there's some weird stuff going on in the park in terms of, like, rides are kind of, like, operating by themselves randomly. But I guess kind of Abner's kind of in denial of these things. Like, oh, no, everything's fine. I just need more money to invent new crazy shit because, you know... It's like he's going slowly insane or something. Oh, and it also it should be mentioned that his animatronics aren't really animatronics. They're just, you know, of course, humans trying to be animatronic actors. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moving like a robot. Yeah, and, and I, have, I have a big, a big question for the end of the movie, which we, we'll get to shortly, <laughs> about the whole animatronic thing. Um, <laughs> apparently, he tries out, like, this new engine on this uh, ride, and the ride goes crazy, and, like, the owner's like, what the fuck, man? You know, like... You're trying to kill somebody with an experimental engine, and he's just kind of, oh, you know, like he's all down on the dumps about it. Eventually, uh, Abner's in his lab, and Melissa shows up. She's looking for Sam. He's not there, so she just uh, she just leaves. So this is kind of a useless uh, kind of whole scene here. <laughs> he's not here. All right, well, see you later. You know. <laughs> well, except for the uh, is that the scene that had the uh, the barber quartet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, yeah. I think that was why this whole scene was devised. So like these. <laughs> Uh, like I said, the, the so-called quote-unquote animatronics. <laughs> apparently, uh, uh, Gordon Hessler's best friends had a barbershop quartet, and he found a way to get them into this movie. So as soon as she leaves, Sam comes out, and uh, he's kind of like under under the spell or whatever. He's acting weird, and you see like he's got like this little uh, computer chip or whatever the hell you know that is on his neck. So clearly, he's under uh, Abner's control now, which is weird why he'd do that to the guy that works for him, right? Like... We might be cool, you know, you might be willing to do some things if we're all good. You don't have to uh, stick a control chip on my neck to uh, make <laughs> yeah. me do things. To make them work. Yeah, yeah, to make, to make me do the things you asked me to do. 
He must have. Sam must have been a lazy ass. <laughs> I, I bet you think you just save the money and all that technology or whatever. You just get you somebody who can work like they're supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> you or mean, just, uh, hey, Sam, can you go and pick this stuff up over here? All right, thanks, bud. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Oh, can you go get this box from Kiss's, uh, from Kiss's room for me? Oh, what is it? Oh, don't worry about it. Just go get it for me. Oh, all right. <laughs> Much easier than controlling him with a computer chip. It's probably not even protected. It's just, you know, probably an octagonal glass table. Just, you know, just yeah. get it. <laughs> well, the force field and all, you know. <laughs> so the street thugs enter the chamber of thrills. And then there's some. There's a line in here somewhere, like, uh, he's in there smoking. Someone says, hey, you're not allowed to smoke in here. And then he says, I'll smoke you. <laughs> 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 then Chopper is, uh, uh, I guess, kind of like... Uh, th- I don't even know what the hell this is. Like, I guess he's just standing there and like these, these doors open and he just slides down a tube. <laughs> but it, it's clearly like something played in reverse or something, right? It looks weird. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, was that where they used the Star Trek doors sound effects? It was like... <laughs> Man, there, there is so much in here that was just straight Star Trek. Like the, uh, like the table that turns around for no reason. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that, too. Or you mean you talk about that Abner sits at? Yeah. With yeah. the computer monitors? <laughs> yeah, it just spit for absolutely no reason at all, yeah. <laughs> here, here was, like, some rejected Star Trek stuff. Uh, so we'll, we'll just slide this in here. Now the concert shall uh, begin. <laughs> this is the and real I main event. Later on, you know, like, he puts, you know, they're sitting in jail, and he, he turns. Oh, yeah. So that, oh, you can watch them on these monitors, you know, from, like, 60 feet across the room. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a three-inch monitor. <laughs> it's like one of those small-ass, what were those, like, ikigami uh, monitors or whatever, those yeah. small ones. <laughs> and at this point, you know, like, like, Gene Simmons and the guys are probably already in, like, their, like, late 40s. So you know they'd have to be squinting at this point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Chopper's down the tube, and then eventually somebody grabs a hold of Slime, and then he goes down the tube. And then uh, Dirty D, she's all by herself now. She uh, turns around and walks into a coffin, and she gets grabbed, and now she's down the tube. So they've all been captured by Abner. And this is part of the Halloween aspect that we talked about, where it's because there's, like, there's a Frankenstein yeah. animatronic I- in there, right? There's a Dracula one in the coffin. And I'm really blowing. Mommy. I guess. So. And I'm really blowing through this scene too. This is like a full-on like ten-minute scene here, of <laughs> yeah. uh, them going down the tubes because they not only do they show all the different like animatronic uh, characters in there, but like they show what they do each and every one of them. Like Dracula, you know, uh, <laughs> is in the coffin, and Frankenstein sits up, and there's some you know electricity, and the mummy's coffin yeah, door very, opens. And very Hanna Barbera Calvin, who the guy that's the guy that owns the park, he comes up and basically tells Abner, like, Yeah, you're gonna be retired, you're done. He's not necessarily <laughs> firing him, but like you're gonna retire, you're done. <laughs> yeah, but even in this scene, like like he took him out to to the sound check of the concert. To tell him, yeah. Into into a huge empty parking lot with a full park capacity. There's a big empty parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> well they did have to set that, up set up the kiss concert. And now, uh, hey, bud, uh, thank you, but we don't need your services anymore. Yeah. He's something like things have been un- uh, things are getting a little weird, things are unsafe, and uh, we have concerns, so we're gonna 
We're going to let you go ahead and retire. Then Abner basically vows destruction after <laughs> after this. Like he doesn't take it like, "All right, well, I guess I'll go find me another job." No, he's going to he's going to murder everyone. And I guess, you know, his his goal is to burn the park down. Like he's done with it now. So now, you finally we're 30 minutes in because now you finally see Kiss and they're in concert. I think they're performing Shout It Out Loud. Just out of That's nowhere, so they sh- they shoot lasers out of their eyes and <laughs> and uh <laughs> Gene Simmons is shooting flame, you know, spitting flames out of his mouth, but it's completely unexplained at this moment of the, you know, of everything. Like, what the hell? Like, it's it's kids performing, and all of a sudden they just have superpowers. Now, you know, things do get yeah, explained. Superpowers, superpowered cartoon powers, at least. Anyways, like yeah, I mean, very bad animated cartoon powers. <laughs> things do get explained shortly thereafter, but at this moment you're like, what? You know, it just kind of comes out of left field. <laughs> what the hell? They have powers. As they're playing Shout It Out Loud. So as it turns out, Abner, with those street thugs, he, he turned, he's, now they're under his mind control, right? He's turned them all into dummies, too. Uh, which you never see him again, though, right? Come to think of it. See who again? The street thugs. I, like, you I, see, I think, I think, you see him oh. say, like, hi, you're under my control now, or something like that, and then you never see him again. I want to say that they you were talk- in his, in that room that, you know, he was working on everybody, and then... Like one of the last things you see is like no no they were uh, like pilgrims or something yeah yeah, yeah like yeah, they, 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 they yeah into that's what I'm saying though after that that's what I'm saying though after that do you ever see them again I don't think you do like you see them like dressed up as like Revolutionary War people or something like mm-hmm. they got some kind of outfits on and he's like now you're under my control you know whatever the hell he says and then that's it for the street thugs right like I don't think you see them again <laughs> unless they're just well they were anticipating. They were anticipating this being a massive hit, so that was part two. Oh, okay, yeah. A lot of... I guess that can explain everything. Like, <laughs> they were setting shit up for the sequel. <laughs> so he sent, Abner sends Sam out to take pictures of Kiss. Like, get him from all angles. Because uh, he, he, uh, he, I guess he's got plans for the pictures to uh, do something with it. Melissa shows up, and he just completely fucking ignores the hell out of her. Like, she's like, Sam, I'm right here. It's Melissa. And he just, he just keeps walking the other way, and she, you know... Uh, she's like she's crushed, but then she, Melissa needs to take a hint. All right, <laughs> he's just, he's just done with you, Melissa. This has nothing to do with mind control from a mad scientist. But Kiss walks up like this is after the show. Kiss walks off the stage, and they they see all this happen. Now all of a sudden, uh, Paul Stanley has Starchild. He's got he's got like a ray that comes out of his eye. And it kind of like puts a star on uh, Melissa. And, oh. And <laughs> see, Starchild. He uses his star power on her. Like one of his eyes, like his right eye is glowing. And uh, he says Sam is still here. Something like that, right? Like uh, now they're talking weird. Like he's like, don't don't fret, <laughs> Melissa. How do you know my name? You know, this kind of shit, right? So like clearly he can read minds. It's also where the demon says Starchild. But he kind of says it in the Stargrove type of way. Like, Starchild. Well, he was, he was reading her mind. He was like, I know what she wants. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to shout it out loud. She wants some of Paul's D. <laughs> I mean, this, this is some convoluted shit. I mean, it really is. <laughs> uh, so then you see Abner using uh, the pictures that Sam took. Like, he's, like, circling. Like, so this is the demon, huh? <laughs> and he's circling the uh, the pictures and, like, doing some outlines or something. Like, um, kinda, like he's going to do facelift on them or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, then right after <laughs> These this, are eyes. Yes. <laughs> then right after this, the demon busts through a brick wall <laughs> and then breathes fire on some security guards, and then he just beats the but shit not, out of not them. Not the Gene Simmons fire, though, that he normally breathes, but like some <laughs> really badly animated oh, fire yeah, yeah. that it's, comes it's shooting some, out of his mouth. It's some cartoon fire. <laughs> 
coming out of his mouth. <laughs> he beats the shit out of like four security guards. And then <laughs> like instead of uh, walking through this little concession stand is there, he just smashes the shit out of it and keeps going. <laughs> um, so then the next day, uh, the security guards and, uh, the park owner and everybody, they come up and they, they want to qu- uh, question Kiss, um, about what happened because they claim that, you know, the demon did this and, uh, they're all sitting beside the pool. <laughs> it's like this completely empty, like public pool somewhere that they're all sitting in like these lifeguard towers around wearing like uh, sparkly cloaks. <laughs> this is a weird scene even for Kiss, but they question them and, uh, basically like, uh, uh, no, we didn't do anything, and they're like, "All right, well, look, we we the, the park owners like, uh, well, we need Kiss for the show tonight, so uh, how about you just let this slide for uh, for the time, and we'll take it up later on after the sh- uh, the last show." He's like, "All right, all right." Abner gives Melissa, Melissa comes looking for Sam again, and he's like, "Well, I haven't seen him, but here I'll give you a security pass to help look for you know, so you can have clearance to look anywhere for Sam." So she leaves. Then this is when Kiss takes Melissa in, and they show her their talismans. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what Kiss would normally do. She's they're actually se- showing them her their talismans. Literal talismans. Yeah, they have these little like talisman token things that give them all powers. This so like they're like, yeah, without these talismans, we're just regular dudes. Not quite regular. Yeah. <laughs> but you find out like later in the movie when they're stolen, they're still superheroes. <laughs> so much for that, McGuffin. Yeah. Like I said, more questions than any answers in this thing. So uh, the the little security pass that Abner gave Melissa, apparently it's bugged so he can listen in, and he hears all of the, like, you know, the whole talisman explanation, like, you know, with these talismans, we have power. So he, he he's instantly, like, rubbing his hands together, you know, like an evil uh, mad scientist would, like, <laughs> now I know the secret. And uh, you, this is where you finally see, like, that demon that you saw that beat the shit out of the guards. It wasn't really him. It was... Uh, uh, the robot demon that uh, Abner had made. Then there's a whole performance of uh, Kiss uh, performing I Stole Your Love. And they don't just do like a snippet of these things either. Like when you see a performance, you pretty much see, mo- I'd say about 90% oh, of the song. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> not 100. So right after this, Sam, is he's tasked to go find the talismans while Kiss is uh, at the concert singing. But like now the concert is over and they're just sitting there. <laughs> they're just sitting there singing Beth to Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> and And... Like this woman is so damn rude. Like, like this dude is is pouring his heart out into Beth, and she just gets up and walks away in the yeah. middle of the song. Well, she's got to go reflect, asshole. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, she could have waited what two and a half, three minutes. The only thing I got, the only problem I got with this scene here is they really missed the boat on not naming her Beth instead of Melissa, right? Like, what were they <laughs> yeah. thinking? It would have been perfect. Like you said, she just gets up and kind of like. Uh, Goes and reflects on her own as uh, Peter, Chris, and the rest of them are uh, playing the song. I mean, you've got, the, like, one of the biggest bands in the world, Kiss, performing a song for you. And you just get up and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> but as she's sitting there reflecting, and Beth is playing in the background, she sees Sam leaving, you know, where he was in there looking for the talisman. And once again, he ignores her and just keeps on trucking. Kiss goes back in, like, the place is uh, 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 ransacked, but the talismans are still there. They're safe. He wasn't able to get get to them because there's like this little force field around the uh, the box. So it's basically like a cigar box, right? <laughs> that has uh, <laughs> these talismans in it. And like, I guess if you open it up, it gl- you know, there's a light glowing and there's like a force field around it, supposedly, that, you know, if you try to touch it, it zaps you. So Sam wasn't able to get a hold of it. Um, but Kiss, uh, you know, I guess they gather the troops and they decide to go investigate. So they go to the big roller coaster there at Magic Mountain. And all of a sudden there's like a, a dozen ape 
wolf. I guess they're. I don't know what the hell they are. I, I, I was assuming they're like wolf men or something, but they're like. <laughs> yeah, they look, I don't know what they were, but those things kind of scared me as a kid. I bet, but uh, they look like. <laughs> I think they refer to them as apes or something, or they kind of act like apes. Yeah, but, but they look like, like werewolves. werewolves. They kind of uh, just weird. I don't know who created those things, but they had either they were geniuses or. <laughs> yeah, I don't they, know they, what, were they were eccentric like geniuses. A, yeah, they were. What what could be a wolf? No, it's a wolf. It could be a eight. No, a little bit of a little bit of cat like. I don't know. Whatever they are, just just make twelve uh, heads of these things and put them on twelve dudes, and then have these dudes <laughs> climb up and down the side of this roller coaster. It'll all be safe, and it'll all make sense when we do it. <laughs> Halfway this, through the scene, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Shut up and do it. <laughs> we only got We've three, committed to it now. We don't have any more money, so yeah, we only got three more hours to shoot the entire movie. So let's get it going here. <laughs> The park opens in three hours. <laughs> yeah. Hurry. So Kiss has this huge battle with these eight wolf robots. One of them knocks like one of the heads off, and this is where they discover that's a robot. And then they look oh, at yeah, the, and then they, they look, all lose their heads over you, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's so many goofy ass lines <laughs> yeah. from uh Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley in this specifically. But they, they knock one of the heads off and they're looking at it, and then I think it's uh uh Gene Simmons says, Devereaux. Like, how do they make that leap? Right? Yeah. How do they know who the fuck Abner Devereaux, Devereaux is, and why would he be coming after them? Like they would have no clue at this point, right? It's not like he's announced his intentions, or no. or how would they know the inner workings of this park so well that they know who made the robots, right? Like that didn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, they have their next battle against some karate samurai sumo robots. Who they're basically kind of fight to a draw, and then all of a sudden they kind of surround Kiss, and then they teleport out of there. Now, I think this is where like. Uh, as this is going on, Sam goes and gets the talismans with a ray gun. <laughs> Abner says, For a love gun. So Abner gives Sam this little ray gun, the love gun, whatever the hell, and he's like, this will get it this time. <laughs> yes. And uh, Which I don't know how he devised this technology or how he would know that it would get the talisman out of there, but here we are. Hey, you're talking about a guy that makes robots that sit up and down. He could easily make can a ray make gun. A, absolutely. <laughs> they can break down. He's got uh, a barbershop quartet. He can definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so he gives him that, and then he goes and gets the talismans. They see Kiss sees Sam, and they follow him into the Chamber of Thrills. Once again, this is another one of those long scenes where you, scenes where you see all the little uh, animatronics doing their thing in this Chamber of Thrills again. Like, If you didn't get it the first time, we're going to show you all that same shit again here in this scene. Because when you go to a theme park, this is your favorite part, so we're going to show the shit out of it. Yeah, and then, of course, inevitably, Kiss battles all the uh, the monster robots in there, like Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. As uh, But they get weakened because Abner now has that little ray gun, and he's uh, shooting the talismans. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you think you got me now? And then shoots the talismans, and then I guess they lose their powers, you know, or it weakens their powers or whatever the hell he does with it. And then eventually, like, uh, they're kind of backed up into the corner, and then Abner, like, vacuums them up with the uh, with the little tube system that he has uh, <laughs> here in the Chamber of Thrills. They all get sucked up into the va- uh, the little tubes. So now he's got Kiss captured, and they're missing the concert. Like, th- this is uh, supposed to be, like, the, the last matinee concert. And uh, Melissa is now, she's concerned for Sam and Kiss, because now no one can find Kiss. So I guess Abner's grand plan here is to replace Kiss with robot versions. He sends them to perform... The concert. So I guess the the ultimate point here is like they're gonna get up there and suck, and then there's gonna be a riot, and it's gonna fuck the park up, right? Is that the whole point here? Yeah. As he's sending uh, uh the the robot kiss out, 
he says something like, I'm sending them out to Armageddon. And then <laughs> Peter Chris is like, uh, yeah, Armageddon's not a good band anyway. So he completely tr uh, trolls the band Armageddon <laughs> right here. And they all kind of laugh. like. <laughs> so this is when the robot kiss gets up on stage and then they perform Rip and Destroy. Rip, rip, rip and destroy. So it's just like Hotter Than Hell, except, you know, different lyrics. So this causes the the uh, the fans to like, what the fuck? You know, we want to hear Hotter Than Hell. I guess is, you know, why they get so pissed. Although, I don't know if I've ever been to a concert where, like, the band's not playing it the way I want, to, want them to play it. Let's have a fucking riot. But uh, apparently that's the plan here, and that's what happens. So Kiss is locked up in, like, the, you know, uh, he's got, like, electrical bars that's keeping them from getting out. But their their box of the talismans is still sitting, like, across the room. So they're like, hey, look, if we all use our minds together... <laughs> We can get the talismans back. <laughs> so that's what they do. They all like kind of like use their mind powers all together. And then the, the box flies across the room and they open it up. Now that they have their talismans back, Kiss flies in on the stage. And then they beat the shit out of the uh, robot doppelgangers. Like there's this whole five minute fight beating the shit out of the robot Kiss. And then they instantly kick into a performance of rock and roll all night. That's kind of like the big finish, right? Like, <laughs> hey, we won the battle. I want to rock and roll all night. See, I I'm thinking like, well, that must be it. You know, they're not going to really have any resolution here. I really thought it was going to end like that. But th <laughs> but thankfully they were like, well, you know, you, know, you would think a lot of times they do end with rock and roll all night. You know, so you think. Well, now, this must be it. I honestly, like, I'm, I'm like, son of a bitch, they're going to end it with this. This is it. Like, <laughs> they're not going to show you what happened to Abner or anything else. Like, th this is the, this is the end. But, no, they, they go back, and, like, now they're all standing around in Abner's control room. They're telling Abner to release uh, Sam from his control, but he's not saying anything or whatever. <laughs> and then I think it's uh, uh, Ace Fraley or Paul Stanley. I can't remember. One of them reach over and just take the control chip off his neck, and everything's all right. <laughs> Why didn't we think of this like 45 minutes ago? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. He, he has a chip on his neck. Let's just take that off. Ah, there you go. He's all right. But then this is the one This is the one thing that like what the fuck moment of truly a what the fuck moment of the whole movie is Abner. They turn around like Abner is now like an old man who's like in a coma and doesn't say anything. Like what the hell happened to him? Like <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he what? He just slipped into a coma because his robots failed. I don't, I don't know what the hell happened here. <laughs> oh, it aged him. What did? The, yes. Nineteen seventy-eight. The <laughs> the, uh, the effort. <laughs> yeah. But this is one of the better lines of the movie, though. He created Kiss to destroy Kiss, and he lost. <laughs> and then the, now they did this. They did this whole scene where, like, uh, up until like the big reveal that he's an old man that is dead now. Uh, they keep they keep showing like the opposite end of him, you know, so you can't see him, right? This entire time I'm like, so so this dude lost, but he wasn't around. He was in a lair somewhere else, and he just sat there and waited for Kiss to come back for him. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, too many questions and not enough answers. Hearing Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, um, but the final thing you see is Kiss uh, goes up on the stage and then perform God of Thunder, uh, and then you hear that as there's like still pictures of like different scenes of the movie playing under the song or over the song uh throughout the credits so there you have it kiss meets the phantom of the park from 1978 will what's your star rating on this one mm, mm, mm. <laughs> i guess we're gonna take Is that, that my, as, can, as, can that be my answer <laughs> <laughs> will rated it complete silence <laughs> i'll give it a one so it's not my worst but uh it's 
it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it goes without saying, as a movie, not the best. Smoke, I know your rating's going to be a little oh. higher for, for personal <laughs> reasons, but uh, what's your star rating? Yeah, here? oh yeah. Well, like I said, we've already already gone over all the nostalgia factor for me with this movie, and also all the uh, sort of important points it hits on me for uh, kind of getting me into, well, getting me into Kiss, thereby getting me into hard rock and metal, and then somewhat of an interest in the horror movies, I guess, with a little bit of a Halloween horror aspect of it. And, and Hanna-Barbera, I've just been a huge fan of Hanna-Barbera my whole life, too. So I go with uh, three stars for it, actually. For me. I would say I'm surprised, That's but I'm not surprised. Again, I know. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say this is the worst movie we've watched, because there's actually a, there's a few there that I, like, I would watch this over uh, a few others that we've done, including... Uh, uh, the last episode we just did, House of Wax. I think I, if <laughs> if you give me the choice between oh, yeah. the two, I would sit there and watch <laughs> this again, no question. I think that being said, I, I'm gonna go with like I'm gonna go two and a quarter stars. It's definitely not my my uh, favorite movie we've seen, but it's not it's not the worst by far. Uh, for Smoke, what's your uh, what's the gore score that you came up with for this? I know this is gonna be tough. <laughs> yeah, that, I, you know, first of all, it's a big it's a big fat zero on the gore score because mm -hmm. it's there's nothing unless you unless you think you know, decapitated animatronic heads are gory. You know? yeah. <laughs> but uh, they they did miss an opportunity in here, which uh, I know, granted, it was mainly aimed at kids, but you don't have anything related to Kiss and not have Gene Simmons spitting blood at some point, you know. They missed that, you know. Missed yeah, out on that. for sure. Again, I mean, it, again, we're talking about 1978, and they were going for that, you're going for the kids thing. I, I'm pretty sure if the parents walked in the room and saw Gene Simmons spitting blood all over the place, they were like, oh, what the hell is this? <laughs> My parents probably wouldn't have bought me a Kiss record, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's Satan, Dad. What? <laughs> Why? It's kids in Satan's but, uh, service. What of it? <laughs> uh, oh, he did. Oh, yeah, we, did, we didn't mention that he did blow actual fire in the movie, breathe fire, whatever you want to call it, during, uh, which song was it during? Which one it was now? It wasn't the first song they played. Probably uh, uh what was it the uh, uh shit I can't remember the name of the uh the second song that I think like the full performance of the song that you see in the movie. Oh, I stole your love, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe love? it was during yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was during that one where he breathes, where he blows fire for for real. You know, all the rest of the times it was the uh, computer yeah, the car animated, yeah, the cartoon not fire. Animated, but animated cartoon fire. Yeah, yeah. but um, I know so a big big zero on the gore score for this one as it you know as it would be. So, Will, what's the kill count? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say one for Abner when he dies at the end. I don't think he's dead. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's dead, though. Because they're talking to him like like he's still alive, you know, until they spin the chair around. I, that's debatable. I don't think he's dead, but I could see it either way. Okay, point five. Yeah. <laughs> is that for the robot? Or one of the uh, the one that gets his head knocked off? This might be... This is a, well, this is that's a first for the... Uh... For us being a primarily, you know, horror podcast, I think that's the first movie we ever had that had a zero and no, basically nobody, possibly yeah. one. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much zero gore, pretty much zero bodies. I don't think, you know, it, yeah. it's debatable on Abner. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so there you go. And that's why it's PG and, uh, you know, you can sit down and watch this with your kids if you want to. Obviously, which that was the point of the uh, movie originally anyways. So I guess that's about, you know, all we can say about Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. So join us for our next episode, which will be episode 40 of the All-American Spook Show podcast. Another little milestone episode. And we're going to watch something a little more current. A movie that came out pretty much right at Halloween from 2013. All Hallows' Eve. The IMDb synopsis for this movie is a babysitter finds a VHS tape which features various sinister murders performed by a psychotic clown so i think this is the uh the debut of the uh kind of a uh, cult favorite character these days art the clown right is this the first time yep i believe that he was uh 
a thing. That's yep. last time I checked this this movie was at least available on Amazon Prime Video. If you want to get ahead of the curve and go watch, you know, go watch it before the next episode drops, uh, you should be able to find it there. And I'm sure there's various other ways if you don't own a copy. But so that there we there you go. The next episode will be All Hallows Eve from 2013. So you guys have anything else you wanted to add here for uh kiss meets the phantom of the park before we uh wrap it up I was gonna po- i'll post a picture i just remembered i had well y- y'all probably seen it already i'll put it on the facebook page of shortly after this aired on tv i think it was sometime around my birthday in november i had my, my aunt painted my face like gene simmons because i wanted to be it wasn't it wasn't you know it was after halloween but uh, it I, was, I was born and run running around the house in my batman underoos and Gene Simmons Facebook. <laughs> it was for it years. was for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I got that picture still, so I'll post it up on the page. <laughs> Sounds good. Will, anything to add there? A couple things I meant to like bring up earlier. Uh, I just thought this was funny. What what's the guy that plays Abner? Anthony oh, uh, Zerby. Zerb Zerby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently he doesn't list this as uh, one of the movies he's acted on on his website. <laughs> <laughs> so not not only did Kiss want to disown the movie, also Anthony Zerby, who probably played even a more prominent role than Kiss, oh, or yeah. at least as prominent a role, also disowns it. Well, he, I, <laughs> I guarantee you, minute for minute, he's probably in it more yeah, uh, than Kiss yeah. is. That's arguable. Yeah. Because like I said, 30 minutes in, they had, they had only been in that little goofy opening credit sequence. So. Yeah. Now, they did, you know, of course, at the end. They were from point whatever it was when they come out to play. Unless you count the androids. I guess you could count the androids because that's yeah, yeah, that one says to. Yeah, I mean, that they, whole once, from there to the end of the movie. There. Yeah, yeah. Once you finally see them for that last hour or so of the movie, I mean, yeah. they're, they're in it quite a bit. But I'm, you know, other than that though, that first thirty minutes, they're yeah, not around. <laughs> only there in, in name only. Yeah, that that doesn't uh, surprise me though. Kind of a build up, right? You would think, like a well, Will had mentioned it earlier on, like it's thirty minute gap where you don't see them, but they were probably building it up to that first performance of them coming out on stage or whatever. I think that's that's giving or them whatever. too much credit for putting some thought <laughs> yeah, in this. Yeah. <laughs> According to Paul Stanley in Kiss Beyond Makeup, Ace Freely often didn't show up to shoots. So they had to have, had to have his stunt double, a guy named Alan Oley, who is an African-American guy. Yeah, <laughs> I saw something <laughs> about that. We're like, he's got the face paint on, but you can clearly tell it's not him yeah. and that it's a, and that it's a, a black man. <laughs> <laughs> he's just straight up filling in for him. Yeah. <laughs> And on a similar note, what was it, Peter Chris? Well, I don't, I don't know the reasoning why, but he didn't never he never came in to do the overdubbing of his own voice, right? For whatever reason, I don't know if it's I don't yeah, know why. But. Yeah, we kind of alluded to that that Michael Bell had yeah yeah on where Michael and Bell that's why that basically he didn't show up for the post. Yeah, yeah, I, I read something that basically on the lines of what you both just said that like apparently they had a lot of issues with uh, Peter Chris and Ace Frehley in this, like just getting them to to just just sit still and do the damn movie. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that I kept reading was like they were having issues with the fact that you know shooting a film is a lot of sitting around in a trailer waiting for yeah, everything to get set wait. up. Yeah, I think between that and just the fact that uh, they were probably drinking and uh, and doing other <laughs> things at yeah. the time, I'm sure that didn't help matters either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think I read somewhere that, that like one of the guys had his second wife come and meet him on the uh on the set meanwhile he was still married to his first wife yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like i said they only lasted uh what about another year and a half after this movie uh came out or you know the filming of it and then it came out i think they were basically done by night sometime in 1980 so you're probably seeing the beginning of the end of the original lineup of kiss right here i think it was the unmasked album wasn't it that was the last album where they had makeup on with all all the original members except i think they were in the credits with all the original members and the, and the artwork featured all the 
original members, but I think Peter had already left. <laughs> I don't even know if he played drums on that album, but, but he was credited on it because I guess they didn't want to put out there yet that they that he had left or whatever, heard album sales or what or what have you. Eek. Oh my God. Ah, yeah, we we didn't mention that, but oh well. Ack. Ack. I can't remember why why that was a thing, but it became Ace's thing. <laughs> oh, I did read something about that. It was because apparently the guys that were writing this movie sat down to interview each member of the band to kind of get a feel for, you know, how these guys are so they could kind of write to their characters, right? And apparently when they sat down with him, he wouldn't talk to them. All he would say is, Ack. That's all he would say. Like they would, so, so what do you do uh, for fun when you're not performing? Ack. He just kept doing that. So then they're like, well, fuck it, this guy must be half retarded. So they basically, <laughs> so they basically only wrote his only lines were basically act. So then he comes back and says, what the fuck? You know, like, why didn't you give me more dialogue? It's like, well, when we talked to you, all you said was act. Um, so they had to go back in. We thought in. you were a fucking guitar savant. We, yeah, we thought you were a, a fucking monosyllabic retard or something. So uh, they had to go in and add some di- dialogue for him just so he would do it because apparently he was ready to walk off. Like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. <laughs> so they had to go ask well, shit. He, I think he must have embraced the act later. I guess, the, yeah, they kept a couple of them yeah. in, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I meant to mention that, and I forgot about that. All right, so uh, I guess, you know, I mean, we could probably go on and on with little random tidbits. That's pretty much it for uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Like I said, join us uh, for the next episode, episode 40, for All Hallows' Eve. And uh, I guess that's it, guys. So for uh, the Professor Smoke and Will, I'm Josh, and we are the All-American Spook Show Podcast. We will uh, talk to you guys next time. It's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. <laughs>